Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Well, first of all, I need to get the memo. Uh, the choir, you look great. You're black. Sorry. And all the Sundays in the year, the pastor never shows up with a necktie. The day he comes in. So I don't, I don't know. My name's been taken off the list or something. Well, it's great to be here. Last week, we were in Ghana. And uh, while we were in Ghana, they invited us to this, uh, this house to uh, give us an experience of learning our real name, our Ghanaian name. So this young man uh, got up and he did this dance for us. Uh, I can see Brother Rufus got a little carried away and kind of jumped up there when he wasn't supposed to. But what I, what I wanted you to notice in this is on my extreme left, you'll see a little hand sticking out. And, uh, that gesture was like this. And so we asked our, Guide, as you can see, none of the rest of us had our hands up. We asked our guide, what does that mean when people do that? And he said to us that this means you're performing well. That when the people see you performing and they do this, it means you're performing well. It's, it's this performing well that highlights Paul's encouragement and exhortation to his friends who, like he, were suffering for the sake of the gospel. Located on a major Roman road was Philippi, one of the Roman colonies that the empire expected this legal city to become like Rome. The vast majority of the population would have consisted of slaves, service providers, peasant farmers, small number of retired Roman soldiers who made up the elite of the city. It was a typical first century city. Many gods worshipped there, including the god emperor himself. It was not a receptive city to the gospel. The Christians there found themselves in an environment that was in opposition to their gospel, and as a result, it created suffering for them. But Paul's love for them, is noticeable throughout the book of Philippians. 
and is illustrated in his opening greeting from which I have uh, drawn today's text. This text is so profound to me that I, 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 I want to read it in three different versions. The English Standard Version says this, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And then the Living Bible translates that verse this way. And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. And then I love the message version. Eugene Peterson just died recently, but he had a wonderful way of interpreting scripture. And he wrote wrote this. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. And what Paul is saying to us is this. Jesus, the developer, is doing a great work in you. Despite the difficulties the church at Philippi was going through, Paul wanted them to understand that Jesus was very much involved doing a great work in them. It's a principle that is applicable to you and I this morning. Because whatever we are experience on our journey on this planet, Paul wants us also to understand that the real Jesus is at work. He's at work in us, doing a great work in us. So the question is, what's he doing? What is this great work? And I would say that, first of all, he's he's making us over. Jesus is making us over. He's busy making us over from the inside out. And the question may be, why? Because his love demands that he not leave us where he found us. Because his love demands that he addressed the propensity toward making decisions that lead to unhealthy, destructive behavior. It seems like we just can't help it. But we tend to lean toward that which only hurts us. We develop and embrace values that are self-seeking and self-destructive. We uh, we are brainwashed by a culture that is obsessed with PMS, power, money, sex. If Jesus doesn't make us over, we are in deep trouble. Amen. So he's working, making us over from the inside out. He's renewing our minds. 
Romans 12 and 2 says, tell us, tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is in the mind that we make choices as to whether we will express the great work that Jesus is doing in us or allow our fleshy humanists to act out damaging behaviors. There's a New Testament scholar named Kenneth West who paraphrased Romans 12 to this way. He says, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression which does not come from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being, a regenerated child of God. Amen. So that we live and act like the sons and daughters of the king. Jesus, the developer, is working, renewing our mind, rearranging our values, changing us from what we are to what God desires us to be. He's also restructuring our hearts. The marvelous work that Jesus does in us is not external. It will show us up externally, but that's only because something is happening internally. Jesus illustrates this distinction when he commanded the gift of the widow's might. Externally and visibly, the gift was insignificant. But internally and spiritually, it was of great value. Because that little might expressed this total commitment of the widow's heart. To outsiders, it didn't look like much. But inside, it was a great expression of something that was transformed in her heart and life. Being a Christian has its visible and external expressions. But Jesus is restructuring our heart. So that what we do and what we say comes from a heart that is owned by the Holy Spirit. Obviously, in this age of externalism, we, when when so much thought and energy is expended uh, upon that which is outward and material, it's easy to get caught up and miss the great work that Jesus is doing inwardly in all of our hearts. But have you noticed what he's doing inside of you? Have you noticed how you are changing on the inside? Can you see the great work he's doing in the depths of your spirit? We focus so much on what's not and what we are not and what we're not pulling off until we overlook and fail to rejoice on what changes are taking place in us. That there are things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. There are things we used to say we don't say anymore. There are feelings we used to have we don't have anymore. It's because Jesus is at work on the inside, restructuring our hearts and changing us from the inside out. Jesus, the developer began this great work in you a long time ago. Let's clarify that this great work is not of your making. You may think you're doing it, but really it's God at work inside you. The text says, he who began 
a great work. You didn't start this thing. You may thought that one day you decided you'd give your life to God, but God was already working on you long before you came to that conclusion in your own mind. Long before you got to that place, God was already working on you. Long before you decided to go to church that day. Long before you walked toward the altar. Long before you fell on your knees in prayer. God was already working in your spirit. For for some of us, it was through the family line. We went to Sunday school. We went to the youth program. Our family had times of prayer and so forth and so on. And that family created an environment where God began to work into our work in our hearts and begin to woo us unto himself. For some of us, it was when that crisis came. Maybe divorce, maybe sickness, maybe death, maybe something, but something, something got our attention uh, and, and we turned to God. And the reason we turned to God was because God was already at work in our hearts. Other people go through crisis and they don't turn to God. You turn to God. And you turn to God because he was already beginning to work in you. Whatever the circumstance, God got personal and he got involved in your business. And he began to woo you unto himself, woo you so that you and he could get together. He sought you, he he found you, and he wooed you unto himself. The old 19th century prophet called God's love the hound of heaven. It's intense and it's focused and it pursues until we surrender. It's God searching, reaching out to bring you unto himself, working in you, working inside you. You're not even conscious of it, but he's working inside of you, wooing you unto himself. Amen. Nothing. It's like the old hymn. It's the old hymn that that that, that I believe captures it very well. It says, oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. God's love just keeps coming, just like the ocean. It just keeps rolling and rolling. And we try to say, no, I want to do it my way. It just keeps coming and keeps coming. We say, I don't want to surrender. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It will not turn us loose. Nothing is so delightful in our lives. And when God's love and our hearts hook up one with the other, nothing else brings us such enjoyment. Nothing else meets the needs and wants and desires of our troubled and agitated spirit. Nothing brings us such rest and satisfaction. Once God takes up his abode in the center of our lives, nothing else compares in this world. Amen. Now, we don't want to miss this important part of this text. Paul says this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's what he says. I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow. 
the message. The God who started this great work in you will keep at it. The idea is progression. When God begins something, he tends not to start it as a finished product. God's got a thing about growing stuff. God likes seeds. He plants seeds. He lets things begin small. And then he works at growing it into what he desires it to be. Are you following me here? All the work of God is always progressive. I used to say, if you ask God for an apple tree, he won't give you a tree, he'll give you a seed. He plants the seed, and he lets that seed do its work. When you when you look at the creation of the world, it was not an instantaneous and perfect, but it was gradual and progressive. From chaos, bringing beauty and order out of confusion, molding the world, spreading out the heavens, fashioning the stars, ordaining the sun and moon, garnishing the earth till all stood forth in perfection or beauty. And then God said, it's good. His creative work in you follows the same mantra. He starts small and he fans it and lets it grow from chaos to beauty, from confusion to peace. You see, the, the problem is when we, when we don't know that God is doing a great work in us, we miss things. Hear this. When we're not aware that God is doing a great work, we miss all the things that he's doing as he moves us into what he desires us to be. Not having situational clarity robs us of the divine perspective and we miss We miss things. When we're not in touch with the Spirit, we don't comprehend the Spirit's work in our situation. All we want God to do is get us out. And we don't realize He's doing a great work in that situation. You see, the question is not whether God is at work, but what is He at work doing? And are we cooperating with what he is doing? When I speak of situational clarity, I mean, what is God using your situation to surface in you? Every situation that you are in has a divine perspective on that situation. And God is trying to address something in that situation. Maybe he's trying to address trust issues. Maybe he's trying to address dependency issues. Maybe he's trying to address self-definition issues. Maybe he's trying to address alignment of values issues. But God is always, he's always got a perspective on the situation. And if we don't have situational clarity about the divine perspective, we miss what God is doing in his great work 
in us. There's a story about a man who was sitting on a porch one summer day and in the corner of his porch, a caterpillar had made a cocoon. And while he sat there and looked at the cocoon, he noticed that 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 the, the, the butterfly beginning to break through the cocoon was struggling. As the man watched the butterfly struggle trying to exit the cocoon, he said to himself, I, I, I will I will help it. I will open the cocoon so the butterfly can get out and won't have to struggle. Key words. So he opens the cocoon so the butterfly can get out. And when he opens the cocoon, the butterfly came out and stayed on the porch. So the man, he tries to pick up the butterfly and to help it to fly. He, he, he gets underneath of it and he kind of throws it so they don't know you're, you're supposed to fly, fly. But it just kept falling to the ground. And so he decided that he would take the butterfly to a veterinarian. <laughs> and the vet looked at the butterfly and noticed that the butterfly's wings were, were coated with that old molten skin from, from when it was a caterpillar. And the vet looked at the man and said, what did you do? And the man said, well, I, I, I saw it struggling, trying to get out of the cocoon, so I, I opened it. I put my hands in and I opened it so he could get out. And the vet said, that, that, that was a mistake. You see, the struggle, the struggle to get through the cocoon, it, it, its wings cause it to get bigger than the hole it's trying to scrape. But it's the struggle that enables the wings to fully form. So that when the finished the struggle, he is able to fly away. So often we see a situation as we miss in the situation that it is a divinely designed opportunity, providentially placed in a way to help make us what God envisioned us to be. And when we miss that, then we affect the great work that God is doing. In us, God is trying to give us an image. An image means he wants us to imagine ourselves as he envisioned us. And the struggle, the great work in that struggle is a part of helping us to become. So when you're on the highway and the guy jumps in front of you, And the temptation is, and then something says, don't do that. Here's what I want you to say. God, you're doing a great work in me. Great work. Great work. When your spouse says something, and you want to go off, I want you to say, God, you're doing a great work. <laughs> doing a great work in me. See, let God do his thing. He's doing a great work in you. 
let him do what he's trying what to make become a reality in you. So the third thing is how long can we count on Jesus to develop or brother do this great work? Well, let's go back to the text. Paul says this. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man can disappoint us, but God never fails. And Paul did not place his confidence in the folks at Philippi. Notice he didn't say, I'm sure you guys will work it out. He placed his confidence in the God who had saved them and who was working out his sovereign purposes through them. What Paul knew was that whatever God Starts. He finishes. And sometimes when you're looking in the mirror and you're upset, just remind yourself, whatever God started, he started a great work in me. Even if you got to cry, you just say, God, you started a great work in me. You're going to finish what you start. I may not be there yet, but I know you're doing a great work in me. You are going to finish. Now, the question should be, what's this got to do with the 33rd anniversary? Some of you are all waiting for that part. <laughs> so let me, let me say this. The, the, the great work principle applies to us. As, our, as we celebrate our 33rd anniversary. Last month, I was invited to over to the 50th anniversary of Pomacea Baptist Church, and Pastor Tommy asked me if I would just say a couple of words. And uh, he said, you had about three or four minutes. And so I prayed, I asked God, what, God, what can I say? What can I say? And I felt like God just dropped this into my spirit. The windshield is bigger than a rear view mirror. The windshield is bigger than the rear view mirror. We've had some great experiences at South Bay. We've had some wonderful times where we've seen God really doing some marvelous work here. We've got some wonderful experiences on the foreign field. We've seen God transform lives right here in this place. Wonderful experience. But that's the past. That's past. That was then. That rearview mirror is small because that's not where our attention needs to be. Our attention needs to be where we're going. It's not the past, it's the future. And if you're still alive and you're still here, it means that our work is not done, that our future still demands our response. There's a great story uh, about uh, one of Jesus' stories about when he's with his disciples. It, 
he, he goes to this place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a place centered around all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of false worship. There, there was, there was a sense of darkness and grossness at this spot. It, uh, in, in Caesarea Philippi because this was the place where a lot of pan worship took place. And pan worship, when you worship pan, it was, it was all about doing whatever your urges told you to do. And so whenever you do whatever your urges tell you to do, that always means the strong prey on the weak at all, always means that people are exploited. But but people would justify their actions by saying that that really wasn't me. I was under the influence of, I was just being led by the spirit of Pan. And part of the worship of Pan involved this cave. And I wanted you to see it because it looks like a mouth. And the cave was called the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. And people believe that, that this was the doorway to the underworld. They would throw sacrifices into this mouth and, 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 and these sacrifices, when they reached the underground spring in a few yards away, blood would flow in the spring from the cave down underneath where the sacrifice had died. And to people that, that meant to them that their sacrifice was accepted by the gods. It's this spot, this very spot where those things took place, where Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, one of the things that we miss in Scripture when we read it is we often don't pay attention to the where Jesus says what he says. And it's not a mistake that he said what he said at that spot. Does this suggest anything to you to realize that he said those words in this spot? The gates of hell, the mouth of the gates of hell. And then Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And the disciple gave him all kinds of answers. So then Jesus asked, well, what about you? Who do you say that? And then Peter make that fabulous statement. You are the one we've been waiting for, the king and savior of the world. And Jesus says to Peter, right, I'm going to build a church here. I'm going to build my church here. Unlikely place to talk about building anything. He wants them to remember right Here, in unlikely places, is where I will build my church. Are you following me here? Caesarea Caesarea Philippi is an unlikely place, but Jesus is not talking about building a building. He's talking about building a family. Believers. Who together would stand at the mouth of hell and carry out the purposes of God. 
Caesarea Philippi is unlikely place just like the Bay Area. Where is the church of Jesus followers needed more than at the mouth of hell? Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in the Bay Area as it is in heaven. We want God's rule and reign because that's what makes our world needs the most. Jesus, the developer, is the one who sets all things right and makes all things new, and he does that with us. We want people in the Bay Area to get an advanced look at what their lives would be like through a community of people who have embraced Jesus and his alternative values of life in the Bay Area. Here in the barrier with its traffic. Here in the barrier with its materialism. Here in the barrier with its technology. Here in the barrier with its disinformation. Here in the barrier with its misinformation. Here in the barrier with its lying politicians. Here in the barrier with its deception. Here in the bear with its deceptive uh, theologies and confusing theologies. Here in the barrier with its racism and hypocrisy and spiritual blindness and scandals and violence against women and children. Here is where Jesus wants to build his church. And Jesus, I'm going to do a great work in you. So that through you, I can do a great work in the Bay Area. At the mouth of hell. Things are different than they were 33 years ago. This is a lying culture right now. It starts from the president on down. Truth decay is is eating up our culture. And most folk don't know what effect that's having on the whole culture. When we don't know the difference between fact and opinion, we have no basis for even having a discussion. It's here that Christ needs us, the church. And this is why he's doing a great work in us. Jesus hasn't made a bad decision by investing in us because he knows he's already begun a great work. In us. So whatever you face in the coming days, whenever you feel scared or under-resourced or unsure, just remember Jesus is the developer and he's doing a great work in you so that he can do a great work through you. 33 past. I wonder what 66 will look like. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love.
Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for working in us. Thank you for working through us. Continue to do great work in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.